All right, good evening, everybody. You doing well? Awesome, awesome. Hey, uh, if you didn't notice, we have some hot tubs up front. Um, don't get in them during service, if you could. Um, no, this is for uh, our worship and baptism night that's happening tomorrow night. And so if you are into that, if you want to come show up, see um, just life change that has already taken place. And um, hopefully some more life change takes place that night. We would love to see you guys tomorrow. But um, just really quickly, I just want to tell you guys and just uh, express to you guys how grateful I am to serve you. And... Um, just, uh, I just got a sense this week that there's just, um, just a lot of maybe uh, anxieties and frustrations, and I just want to say that I'm honored tonight to bring you uh, God's word um, during this season and during this time, and um, I'm honored to serve you guys, and I don't, I don't say that enough. Um, I'm honored to uh, work in God's kingdom alongside of you, and um, just am so grateful. I just have a heart of gratitude um, before we get started tonight, but... We are in a series called Warrior Years, Warrior Years, and, um, and if you are in here tonight, this entire series, and you haven't heard about what this series is about, this series is simply about the years <clears throat> that you take ground for Jesus. It's about, honestly, probably right now for you. Um, this comes from the life and the times of King David, and there was a season um, or a moment, really, where David was called by the, um, by the prophet Samuel. And he was called to be a king, and then there were years that David spent in preparation where he herded sheep, and he slayed giants, and he, um, you know, he, he, he sang tunes in the middle of nowhere just to God and him. And those were his preparation years. And then he had some years where he defeated armies, and he took ground literally in the Old Testament. Literally, he took ground for the Lord. But in the New Testament and in the time that you and I live now in the New Covenant, we, in the spiritual realm, Realm, we take ground for Jesus in our warrior years. This is the time where you get to see your friends. You get to hold the hands of your friends as they go from death to life and they get saved. This is the season of your life where you get to share the gospel with people. This is the season of your life where you don't just dream about your call anymore, but you actually step out and do your call. You actually step out and go for it. You actually step out and do and um, it's a beautiful season, but I bet a whole bunch of you are in here tonight and you're thinking to yourself, or you're watching online and you're thinking to yourself, my goodness, um, I don't really feel much like a warrior. I mean, I definitely think that maybe God has some uh, calls for me. I think he maybe has a job for me to do, but I don't really feel like a warrior. If anything, I feel maybe a little bit inadequate. I feel a little bit insecure. And I feel like maybe I've got some um, lack of confidence when it comes to my ability to perform and to, and to move into the call that I believe that God has placed on my life. For a large portion of us, I think this is probably our story. And tonight, my one goal, the only goal I have tonight is this, is to convince you <laughs> that you are the one for the job. Turn to your neighbor and say, if it's a girl, say, you are the woman for the job. If it's a fella, find a fella in the room. Find a fella in the room and say, you are the man for the job. <laughs> Ephesians says this. 
Ephesians 3, starting in, uh, Ephesians 3, starting in verse 6. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading the good news. I became a servant and a preacher of the gospel by the gift of God's grace as he exercised, exercised his amazing power over me. I cannot think of anyone more unworthy to this cause than I. I am the least of the least of saints. But here I am, a grace-made man or woman, privileged to be an echo of his voice, a preacher to all the nations of the riches of the anointed one, the riches that no one has imagined. I titled tonight, You Are the One for the Job. You're the one for the job. Let's pray. Lord, I sense you already in this place, and I thank you. And God... I believe so deeply in this generation, and I know you do too, and not in their self-made efforts, God, but actually in your promise for them and the things that you want to do. Tonight, break down barriers, break down walls. God, let us be the people that you are calling us to be. There's a job to do, and we're the ones to do it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. All right. Who had swagger in elementary school? Raise a hand. (laughs) Come on, 90s kids. Did you have swagger in elementary school? Because I had a little bit of swagger in elementary school. I did. Middle school, totally different story, okay? Elementary school, I had a little bit of swagger. I was and in fifth grade. I ran for uh, the president of my school, and I said, if you elect me, I will put, you know, a vending machine in the cafeteria, and I got elected to be president of our school, and I was like, you know, and, 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 uh, and I, like a true politician, I never made good on those promises and never put the vending machine in there. I still am repentive. I still am. I'm like, Lord, I lied to everybody. Um, uh, but I had swagger in grade school. And I remember, do you remember how in the classrooms, uh, everybody had a certain job to help out the classroom. Everybody had a role to play. And so Miss Holland, at least for me, she got up in front of the class and she says, okay, kids, now we need to divvy out the schoolroom responsibilities. And so who wants to wipe down boards at the end of the day? And you know, you have to think about it because this is going to be your job all year, right? And so a couple of, you know, the like anal retentive kids raise their hands and they're like, I want to wipe down boards every day, you know? And so... And she goes, okay, you know, you two. And she goes, who wants to, you know, who wants to, um, let's see, who wants to put away books every day? And, you know, some kids raise the hands, like the future J.K. Rowlings. They're like, oh, that's totally me. You know, I want to do it. And, and, then, and then it got to, uh, you know, a few other jobs. And then it got to the job that I wanted, right? The job that I wanted was um, there was the pet guinea pig of the classroom, and you got to feed him all year, and his name was Elliot, and I was like, and she's like, all right, kids, now who wants to feed Elliot all year long? And, and you know, I'm in my desk, because you remember you got, like, the chair that's attached to the desk, but I'm, like, leaping out of it, and I'm like, me, 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 you know, like, right? And, and then she gets to, and then she gets to, uh, you know, and she's choosing people and whatever, but, but there was a job that I felt was really cool, but I felt like I couldn't do. And the job was, was at the end of the week, you had to take down the flag, the American flag that was out in front of the school, and you had to fold it up 
into a perfect triangle. And there's a specific way that you fold the American flag in flag ceremonies, and you can't let it touch the ground, and it's all geometric, and I couldn't understand it. And then, and then you put it away for the weekend. And I remember thinking, that sounds like a super cool job, but I just like, like, like the fifth grade me, like could not do that job. That's how I felt. It, it was too, it seemed too intense, you know? Have you ever, have you ever felt that way? Like this job is, it sounds amazing, but it just sounds like it's a little bit too intense for me. Fast forward a, a few decades, Right? And I'm working at Red Rocks Church as an admin, and so I'm, I'm entering in people's emails, and I'm answering phone calls, and fixing toilets, and fixing the coffee maker, and like setting out chairs, and listening to Chad talk all the time. Like, like this is my life, right? And I get pulled into a room, and back then we didn't have offices, and so they pulled me into a kids' rock room for a meeting. And uh, so we're sitting on some like toy chairs, right? And... Uh, they're like, Jesse, and they start explaining to me this small group. It's this small group. It's a, it's a little life group of young adults, and it's gotten really big. It's gotten to like 30 people. And they're starting to think that maybe they want to have services, and they're talking about it, and they're like, we think we're going to let them have services, like, you know, at our church, and, but we need a staffer to lead it. And my heart's just like beating, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. Like, I totally want to do that. Like, oh, my gosh, I so want to do that. Um, but then there was another part of me that was like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, I don't know if I could do that. And in, the, in this moment, I'm feeling both of those things, and Todd looks at me, and he says, um, now, Jess, what do you think of this? Because we're actually thinking that you would be the woman for the job. And, and everything in me was like, I felt two different things. It was like, oh, my gosh. Like, this was like the moment that I prayed for, right? Like, I was like, Lord, I want to lead for your people. God, give me, give me a platform. Give me a place, Lord. I want to serve you. Give me a place to serve. And then he's like parting the seas, and like it's happening. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. And then there was another side of me that was like, oh, God, I don't have no idea what I'm doing. Um, and a couple weeks later, I would show up into a room full of young adults that were older than me and smarter than me and more educated than me. And I realized I needed to figure out how to lead them. I just felt in over my head. Have you ever felt called to something? Have you ever felt called to a dream? Have you ever felt like this is the job that you want? This would be the dream. But man, it seems just so intimidating. Like surely someone else's, this is somebody else's job. Surely this is somebody else's role. I don't know if I'm big enough for this job. If this is you in here, you're in good company. There's a man named Paul in Scripture, probably one of my favorite men um, in, in Scripture. I love John the Baptist. I don't know why I relate with him. I feel like in, in some ways in just his, um, he just kind of seems just like he doesn't care what people think, and sometimes I don't either. And so, um, but then there's Paul, right? And Paul, for those of you who don't know, he's probably uh, the greatest evangelist of all time that has ever lived or will ever live. Um, Paul preached not only in Jerusalem, but he preached all throughout, um, all throughout Asia Minor. And Paul actually had this exact emotion at one point in his ministry. Paul was, uh, he was a preacher by nature. 
He was a debater by nature, and in his time, in his ministry, he would probably be the most effective man to minister the gospel uh, to the nations ever. So he preached in Jerusalem, but then he preached in Macedonia, and he preached in Galatia, and Corinth, and Rome, and Greece, and Ephesus, and Colossae, and basically, basically like just this entire area. He took ships places, he took, he took, he would walk places, like he would take caravans places, like the man just did not stop. And to give you an idea of who this dude is, I, there's a little map that I just want to show you. And basically, if you look down uh, to the bottom right there, there's, there's a little place called Jerusalem, okay? And Jerusalem is where the 12 apostles hung out and ministered the gospel and told the Jews about Jesus and performed their miracles and, and did all of that stuff. The, the, that's where the apostles did their ministry. And in the beginning of Paul's ministry, he starts in Jerusalem, but then he moves out to all of these different places. And I picture Paul, this is just like an idea I've had in my head, but I picture Paul kind of like having a, a talk with like all of the apostles. And he's like, all right, fellas. Um, so, okay, so let's, let's plan this out. This is the great commission. We're going to get this thing done. Okay. And so you guys, uh, you guys take Jerusalem and, uh, I'm going to take everything else. <laughs> this is Paul. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. The letters of Paul that, that called the epistles, they are what you and I read to uh, understand our identity in Christ and understand the new covenant. I mean, he, he, his penmanship and his ability to explain theology is unmatched. He is the man that debated with the greatest minds of his day. He went into Athens um, in Greece and he debated with the smartest the most intelligent and the most quick-tongued people in the world at that time. And he would absolutely destroy them with his apologetics. This was Paul. And at the height of his ministry, at the height of his ministry, he says this in Ephesians 3, I cannot think of anyone more unworthy to this cause than I. I'm the least of the saints, the least of the least of the saints. And I read this, and I think Paul is being humble and he's being generous. I do think he's being that. Um, I, you know, um, but I also think that in this moment, Paul is confessing a deep-seated reality, which is his inadequacy, his inability, and his insecurity. I think in this moment, he's confessing, I'm completely, like, I cannot believe this is my job. <laughs> I really can't. I don't feel like I'm the man for this job. And I think that we all feel this way. And I think that tonight we can learn some things. I would like to divide scripture and I would like to learn some things from this man, Paul, about our lives and about our callings and about the job that God has for us to do. And I think he has lots to teach us about this dichotomy of feeling, I am so called. I have a job to do for Jesus. And yet I feel so absolutely terrified and unqualified. And so we're going to start out at the beginning of uh, Paul's story. 
Back then, he was a man named Saul. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 9. This is where we're going to hang out for the rest of tonight. It says this, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And so he went to the high priest and asked him for letters um, in the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light flashed from heaven. All around him. And he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, the one that you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless and they heard the sound but did not see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. And so they led him by hand into Damascus and for three days he was blind And he ate or drank nothing. So before Paul was Paul, before Paul was like this incredible dude that we know today, he was this man named Saul. And and back in Hebrew ancient culture, your name was given to you, um, you know, a few days after your birth, and there was a ceremony around it. It was a really big deal because your name in Hebrew culture wasn't just your name, it was your identity, okay? And so Saul's name originally was Saul. And not only that, but he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, as Scripture says. He was the son of a Pharisee. He was, not only that, he, was, um, he had been born in Rome. And so politically, he had this, like, clout about him where he could, he could be a mover and shaker in Jerusalem politically if he wanted. He was studying under a man named Gamaliel who was uh, kind of a bigwig Pharisee of the time. And he was essentially being groomed for the political career and the pharisaical career of his dreams. But I get this sense. I get this sense from Paul because he has a past. And I get this sense that he just has some deep-rooted insecurities. I do. When I read about his early stories, and you can divide scripture however you want, but when I read about his early stories, um, one of the stories that it talks about is that he's there and he's standing by as a bunch of older Pharisees stone a man named Stephen to death. And as he does this, he stands back and he's not participating in the stoning, okay? But he's standing back and he's in approval. He's like clapping. And, And he's holding the men's coats. And I just get this sense from Paul that he's like this teacher's pet. And, and he's just waiting for one of the Pharisees to be like, thank you, son, for holding my coat as I killed that man. Saul has a past. He has a past. And now he's looking, um, he's looking to the high priest and he says, high priest, he says, because you need to understand during this day, the Pharisees, if they were anything at this moment, like the, their one goal was to crush Christi- Christianity. Because it stood in, in, in face of everything that they believed. And not only that, but their political system and their religious system. I mean, it blew everything out of the water. And so their one goal was to stop it. And so he goes to the high priest and he's like, I'm going to get brownie points for this. And he's like, high priest, going to get some letters so that I can imprison some Christians. And the high priest is like, sweet. And so you need to understand that this is Saul before he meets Jesus. He is angry. He is probably a little bit insecure. He has a dark heart. He doesn't care who he kills or who he doesn't kill and stand by as somebody gets killed. He is murderous. This is who God meets on the road. And aren't you grateful, young adult? I was reading this. Aren't you grateful that God loved you enough to meet you and me on our road of destruction? This is, this is Saul's road. 
And he doesn't reach out to God. He doesn't ask God to be a part of his life. Like, God actually comes and finds him. And when he finds him, he looks at him and he's like, my goodness, Saul, 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 son, what are you doing? And on that day, God met him on the road and he saved Saul. He saved him and he redeemed him. And, and spoiler alert, on that day, he not only saved him, but he gave him a call. He gave him a call, which leads me to my very first point about your call and your job and where God is leading you and where God wants to work in your life, and it's this. It's that your call will resurrect your past, but the devil just wants to remind you of your past. Your call. God is going to resurrect your past. God just wants to remind you of your past. So, so this guy Saul, um, later that we know as Paul, like I said, his name was his identity. It was everything that he was. And when God meets him, he not only um, saves Saul out of like just his depravity and his, and his nothingness, but he changes his name. He gives him a brand new identity. And he says, you're no longer going to be called Saul. You're going to be called Paul, that's what I'm going to call you now because you have a completely new identity in me. I redeem you. And what's so interesting about this is that um, he doesn't, God doesn't, and I find this interesting, he doesn't eliminate Paul's past. He doesn't evaporate Paul's past. He doesn't erase Paul's past. Instead, he redeems it. And here's what I mean. Paul was a Pharisee. He had great standing within the Jewish, uh, Jewish community. He was a law abider. He knew the law front and back. He knew scripture at that time, whatever scripture was at that time. He knew it front and back. And God was like, I'm not going to erase all of this. I'm going to use it. I'm not going to erase all of this. I'm going to redeem it. I'm going to resurrect it. And then I'm going to use it to propel him forward into his calling. And, and not only that, but he was quick-tongued. I mean, you read scripture and he was quick-tongued and he was an excellent debater. And God says, I'm not going to erase any of that. I'm not, going to, I'm not just going to eliminate his past. I'm going to redeem it. I'm going to make it kingdom-like. And I'm going to use it in his future. Paul, I'm going to give you a new life, and I'm going to resurrect your past for your calling. And listen to me, your calling, my calling, it will always have these bits and pieces of our redeemed past. Some of the most profound people that I know that are ministering, some of the people that I admire most for the way that they live out the kingdom and the way that they take ground for the Lord, um, they have pasts. They are adulterers and drug users and drug dealers. They are people who have um, fornicated. They are people who have had deep, dark sins in their hearts. They are people who have been mistreated and misused and have come out of just horrific situations. A couple weeks from now, we are going to have Christine Kane here, and I'm so excited. Christine Kane, though, is one of these people. She came from an environment where she was, as a child, she was sex sexually abused. And she came from a darkness and a shame. And when God found her on her road, he redeemed her. He gave her a new name. He gave her a new identity. And he redeemed and resurrected her past. And now she works to set sex slaves and sex trafficking women free all around the world. See, God wants to redeem your past and he wants to use your past. There's a pastor friend of mine here in Denver, 
who has had um, an addiction problem or who had an addiction problem. And when God found him, he was a broken man. But God met him on his road. He redeemed him. He brought him out of the life that he knew. He gave him a new name. And, he, and now he has a resurrected and redeemed story that he can share. And he ministers so effectively to people who are struggling with deep addiction. God wants to use your redeemed past. But listen to me, young adult. Satan just wants you to relive and rewind and remember your past. God wants to redeem your past. Satan wants to replay your past over and over and over again. And I think there's a whole bunch of people in here tonight. The Bible says that the callings and the giftings of God, they are irrevocable. Meaning that no one can steal your call, young adult. Nobody can take it from me, from you. Nobody can take the job that God has given to you. No one. And so Satan knows, well, he can't steal your job. He can't steal your calling. And so instead, he's going to make you feel very insecure about it. And the way that he's going to do that is by making you think that you are only your past. Do you guys watch Biggest Loser ever? I love it. I love it. I cry. I cry every time. I love watching, you know, chunky people get fit. I'm like, you go. It's amazing. It's so redemptive. It's like the most amazing show. I cry every time. But there's this girl on it named Jillian Michaels. And um, she's hardcore and, like, intense. And if I was ever on that show, I'd be like, I don't choose Jillian. Like, <laughs> you're so intense. Um, but she'll be, like, yelling at some dude on the treadmill, right? And she always says this, and, and she always says this to the people. She's like, what tapes are you playing in your head? What tapes are you replaying over and over in your head? And that's kind of how she sounds. She's really crazy. And... <laughs> And she's like, you need to get rid of the tapes. She's like, I can get rid of the weight, but if you don't get rid of the tapes, the weight's going to come right back. Satan knows this too. <laughs> Jesus can redeem you out of your past. He can, he can set you on a new path in a redeemed fashion towards your calling and towards your goal. But if you do not get rid of the tapes... There are some of you in here tonight that you know what your call is. You know what your job is in the kingdom. You know what God has put in your heart. But you are just replaying everything that, and all the mistakes that you made from two years ago. You are replaying the idea that you are turning into maybe your dad. And your dad was a horrific person. And you're terrified. And you're thinking, oh my gosh. And Satan's like, that's awesome. Just keep replaying that over and over and over again. God wants to redeem your past, young adult, and he wants to use it in your future. But Satan just wants to remind you. See, God meets us on our road. He redeems our past. He gives us a call. And then he opens our eyes. And that's the second point tonight. Your call, the job that God wants to give you, it's going to open your eyes. Paul's story goes on and it says this, Saul got up from the ground and when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. And so they led him into the land into Damascus or by the hand into the Damascus. And for three days he was blind and he did not eat or drink anything. So Jesus causes a physical blindness in Saul to reveal to him his spiritual blindness. I mean, as far as spiritual blindness goes, Paul was as blind as a bat. It says this in 2 Corinthians. It says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And Saul is so consumed 
with getting ahead in life and with being a good Pharisee and with, and with trying to keep all of the rules and impress the right people, that he has been blinded by the God of this world and he is unable to see the image of God. He is unable. And so God blinds him and he sends him to this man, Ananias, and we'll get to this in a second, but Ananias heals him and he can see again. And you need to understand this. When he sees again, he opens his eyes and he physically sees but then he also spiritually sees. And what he sees is Jesus. That's what he sees when he opens his eyes. He opens his eyes and he sees the glory of Christ, which is the image of God. That's what scripture says. He sees the glory of Christ, which is the image of God. And in an instant, his life is changed. He no longer cares about being a Pharisee. He no longer cares about his life before climbing up some political ladder. All he cares about is the glory of God and his people. A few years ago, um, we had our first little girl. Her name's Brooklyn. She's awesome and two and totally two and just crazy. <laughs> She's the one you see running around. And uh, I have a million dreams. I have so many ambitions for the Lord and things that I want to accomplish with him. And I've always been a dreamer. And, I, you know, I had dreams for young adults. And I had dreams for what we called, uh, we called this fuel at the time. And I left on maternity. And after uh, coming back and having my daughter, I just, things just shifted for me. And I remember thinking, I don't want to leave her. I don't want to leave her for, you know, however many hours a week. This isn't me anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. And I remember praying, and I'm like, Lord, I just don't care about my dreams anymore. I just want to see your face. And then I said this. I said, I don't want to leave her to pursue my dreams. But I'd be willing to leave her for a couple hours a day to pursue your dreams. And so then I asked Jesus. I said, what do you dream about, Lord? What do you dream about? And my heart immediately shifted and I felt like my eyes were open. I'd been a Christian for a while, but I felt like my eyes were open. And I realized that my glory is dung. <laughs> and his glory is all that matters. And God dreams about his people. That's it. It's his glory and it's his people. And my heart shifted. And I think in 2016, in America... On November 10th, 2016, in America, we don't suffer from a physical blindness because we have doctors to help us with that. We have every medical practice that the world could possibly offer you. We don't suffer from a physical blindness. We suffer from a spiritual blindness. The gods of this world right now are fully on display. This week, they are fully on display. They are convincing everyone that they are in control that they are king. I mean, think about the things that you've heard this week. Oh my God, like the world is ending. <laughs> it's happening. The, it's, it's all over. Moving to Canada, you know, like. <laughs> because, because the gods of this world have blinded people. The gods of this world have convinced people who is king, and it's not Jesus. It's a candidate. It's a government. 
The gods of this world have blinded us, church, and I think he wants us, he wants us to understand that when we get our eyes off of him, what the consequences are. He's like, come on, church. He's like, look at me, look at my glory. Don't look at your problem. Like, look at me, look at the change that I want to affect. Look at my kingdom. Don't look at your kingdom. Look at me, look at my face, look at my redemption, look at my promise. Don't look at your problems. The gods of this world have blinded us. And I, and I hear Christians this week talking this way, and I'm like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Like, open your eyes, church. Open your eyes. This is probably, if not this week alone, this week, just try for me, just try for me. This week alone will probably be one of the most effective weeks of ministry you will ever have. Because people are scared out of their minds. They are thinking that the world is ending tomorrow. And you know what you can do? You can say, you know what? Um, I know that you actually thought that everything was contingent upon this government. Or you thought that everything was contingent upon this candidate. But let me tell you, can I just introduce you to someone that can give you peace that surpasses understanding? That if you were facing death in this moment, you wouldn't be afraid. That if you knew that your life was ending, you would know that you have his kingdom forever. Can I introduce you? you to someone who loves you more than anyone could possibly ever love you? What if this week, instead of taking to social media and stating our fears, you got with someone and you said, hey, hey, can I pray with you? Especially your non-believing friends. Hey, what are you worried about? Share your anxieties with me. And then let me, uh, let me introduce you to my hope. God opens our eyes and when he does church, you can see it. You can see his glory, and you can see the need, and you can see all the things that he wants to do right here in this place and right now. He wants to move his church forward. He wants to take territory right here and right now. And you're going to open your eyes, and part of you is going to think, oh, but I'm not, up for, I'm not the person for the job. I can't do it. It's not me. I can't. I'm not good enough. God calls you. He resurrects your past. He opens your eyes. And then listen to me. He tells you that you are the one for the job. You're the one for the job. And Bandy, you guys can come back up here. God calls Saul on the road to Damascus, and he blinds him, and then he sends him to a man named Ananias. And it says this, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. So this was a follower of Jesus at the time. And the Lord called him in a vision and said, Ananias. And he said, yes, Lord. The Lord said to him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. This is awesome. I love that the Lord's like, go over here. It's 52, you know, 80, <laughs> Straight Street. Like, that's amazing to me. And ask him for a man from, uh, for a man, uh, from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying because he's blind. Do you know that more people are praying this week probably than ever? <laughs> because they're blind. <laughs> Spiritually. <laughs> 
In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Lord, Ananias said, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done uh, to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who uh, call on your name. So he's saying, I'm scared. I don't want to do this. And then the Lord said to him, Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to Gentiles and to the their kings, and to the people of Israel. 24 hours ago, he was murdering Christians. And God says, this is the dude for the job. He's the guy. He, I, I, I know it. I got it. It's this guy. And Ananias is like, all right, you know, you're Lord, so I'm going to go do it. When God calls you, you are the man or you are the woman for the job. That's it. Don't doubt tonight. When God calls you, you are the man or you are the woman for the job. Romans says this, Romans eleven twenty nine. 29, the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. It can't be taken from you. It cannot be taken from you. Even God himself won't, won't take it from you. And Satan knows this. He knows, he knows he can't steal your salvation. Girl in here, boy in here. He knows he can't steal your call. And so he is going to try to steal your confidence that it's not you. Maybe you're not up for this. He can't steal your call, and so he's going to remind you of your past. He can't steal your call, and so he's going to blind your eyes with fear. And tonight, I think God wants to say to a whole bunch of us, look around. It's white for the harvest. And you're the one. You're my plan. There's no plan B. If you are feeling discouraged tonight, if you are feeling like, I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I don't have what it takes. I don't have the giftings. Know that you have come from a long lineage of people. The, the Bible calls it a great cloud of witnesses that are rooting for you. They're rooting for you to fulfill your calling, to fulfill his kingdom, to pursue Jesus and love his people and save his people. And you're in a long line of people that felt very, very big calls and very, very insecure. Jonah, David, Gideon. Peter, Moses. Moses at one point, God says, you're going to be my mouthpiece to all of my people. And Moses is like, but I have a, st I have a, st I have a, st I have a stutter. <laughs> you know what's interesting about Moses' story is that he actually, he argues with God so much He's like, I can't do it. I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy. It's still Moses' call. But he's like, well, I guess we'll have Aaron talk for you then because you're just like so freaked out. Are you giving away portions of your call tonight because you feel like it's not you? I feel like if Moses would have been like, all right, let's do this. I feel like he would have rapped if he needed to. He would have stuttered out the proclamations of the Lord, the great commandments, and there would have been glory there. 
And for every single person in here tonight, you need to understand that your insecurity is coming from the reality that you don't have the ability. And that's true. You don't have what it takes. That's true. Moses was the man for the job, not because of his ability. Paul was the man for the job, not because of his ability. He was the man for the job because God said so and because God made his power come upon Moses and indwell Paul. The Bible says this, then Ananias went to the house and he entered it and placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming, he sent me to you so that you may see and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and again he could see and he got up and he was baptized and after taking some food he regained his strength and Saul spent several days with the disciples and at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus, Jesus, the very Jesus he was persecuting two days ago is the Son of God. Paul is the man for the job because God says so because he has the Holy Spirit. Paul is the man for the job because God says so and because he has the Holy Spirit. And so Paul would preach throughout all of the nations. He would go to Galatia. He would go to Macedonia. He would, I mean, the man did not stop. And it's not because he felt adequate. It's because he said, he's like, well, this is what God told me to do. And I have the Holy Spirit. He got shipwrecked and he never got dismayed and he never stopped and it wasn't because um, he wasn't discouraged and it wasn't because he wasn't scared. He's like, well, this is my job. This is, this is my job. I'm the man for the job and I have the Holy Spirit. And he said this about, about what propels him forward even though he feels inadequate. He says, I became a servant and a preacher of this gospel by the gift of God's grace as he exercised his amazing power over me. I can't think of anyone more unworthy than I, the least of the least of saints. But then he says this, but here I am. <laughs> Can everybody stand tonight? Tonight, I think that God wants to remind us you are called and tonight he wants to remind you that your past is redeemed it's not going to be replayed it's not going to be repeated he's God it's redeemed it's resurrected my past is resurrected can you say that tonight my past is resurrected go ahead he wants you to know that my past is resurrected. It's not coming back to haunt you. You need to say it as a proclamation tonight. Go ahead and say it. My past is resurrected. And then he wants you to know that there is a world that needs you to open your eyes to the realities of his glory. And so your eyes are open. Say, my eyes are open. Say it again with gusto. My eyes are open. <laughs> and I'm the man or the woman for the job. Tonight as you worship, he is the king, he is the author, he is the alpha, he is the omega, he's my redeemer. And tonight he wants you to come to him and simply say, here I am, here I am. Tonight as you worship, can you do that for me? Let's praise him.